that's the whole thing. How much is too much? It's, it's not about that. It's, it's about, about that. what would make you happy as the seller and what would work for our numbers. We don't care about who the seller is. It's strictly, does this work for them? And I, again, we trust them to make the right decision for them. And does it work for us? Welcome to Turning Profit, a podcast for people that love real estate. Learn the business models and skills that professional real estate investors use to make money and build wealth. Visit turningprofit.com for a wealth of investor resources. And now, here are your hosts, Pete and Heather Reese. Welcome to the Turning Profit Podcast. Heather, it's so great to be here once again. Yes, yes, it definitely is. I'm sitting on a pillow okay. so I can be taller, but I'm slipping. So if I sit yeah. down in the chair, that's what's happening. You're slipping, Heather. You're in, slipping. In so many different ways, right? Yeah. Actually, we're going to be talking about a slippery slope. Okay, a slippery slope. That's a great transition, Heather. Thank you. <laughs> a great segue, as they would say, in the news business, right? Don't they do those yeah, segues segue all the, those times? The worst is when they're talking about something absolutely horrible, and they're like, and now, and it's something like, you Speaking know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, and you're like, oh, that was awkward. But no, none of that awkwardness for us today, right? Yeah, no, just the regular awkwardness. So, so today... We've actually got a very interesting topic, though. Mm -hmm. You you discovered this. I discovered a lot of stumbled things. Stumbled upon it. Uh, yeah, I stumbled upon it. This one was really the origin of this was we saw a post in our community, our land flipping community, which is called landconquest.com. So we saw a post in our community that caused a lot of reaction and stir. Mm -hmm. So we decided to maybe highlight that post and let you know what that was all about and... Uh, Give our two cents on the whole subject. Yeah, it even turned into kind of a family discussion. Yes. You know, our daughters were following along, and um, the older ones, 13-year-old, doesn't care. She's not in the, <laughs> no, she she's not care. online or in a community. So She doesn't care. So uh, really, the, the topic mm -hmm. for today's podcast is, is land flipping ethical? Is land flipping ethical, Heather? I don't know. Is it, Peter? I guess we'll see. I know. I guess we'll see. You know what? This is actually very clear to me. And also, um, and I just want to be up front. We, we've talked about this a million times. When we buy a property, we use a closing company, mm -hmm. right? It protects us, but it also protects the seller. Like, so they understand what they're doing. And every which way they're having a notary sign, like everything is involved. It's not, you know what I'm trying to say? Like, it, yeah, this, so this is, is not all, some fly by night type of thing where we're getting people to sign this, the deed dark, over their property yeah. at the kitchen table. Yeah. Right. And or threatening them or, <laughs> yeah. or like, you know, here's a hundred dollars under the table. Like everything is above the board. Right. And exactly. for a lot of reasons, we want them to make sure they understand what they're doing. Right. Yep. I mean, like we are pretty savvy in real estate because we've done a lot of transactions, but I don't think the typical person has, mm -hmm. you know, and a lot of times like like is really scary. And we're also not dealing in houses or anything like that, which has a lot of other ramifications. So to me, before we even get this discussion, it's very clear cut. Right. Very clear. But I can understand how mm -hmm. some people might question it for sure. But we feel very strongly that it actually is a very ethical business. And uh, we're going to go into the details. So why don't we go into this post? Uh, can I just point out something? I think it's so sure. funny. We're talking about ethics and you gave me a whole cheat sheet of talking points even on this. Like, <laughs> are you worried that my ethics will be sliding? Because I think I'm no, pretty No, uh, no. I just like to stay organized and stay on track. Because if we oh. don't have this, then we'll go off on lots of different you mean tangents. Because huh? I'll start talking about random stuff. I understand. Yeah, so it's this just, is your cheat sheet, Heather. I can't help myself. So you want me just to read the case? Okay, so yeah, this is what, yeah, I think it, that'd be best. In to the read group, the post. you slacked me over this, by the mm -hmm. way. So I have it exactly what. Okay, so this person posts: Easy win. A seller sold me two lots, combined one acre side by side for a thousand dollars. I listed them for forty thousand and had a lot of offers. I closed at fifty five thousand. Onward and upward. Looking forward to hearing everyone's success. Well, first of all, that's an amazing return on investment. I think it's like. 5,400% or something like that, I figured out. So she bought it for 1,000, sold it for 54,000, something uh, like that? 55,000. 55,000, mm -hmm. yes, okay. So Profit was 54,000. Yeah, so yeah, pretty amazing profit margin. Mm -hmm. And, you know, obviously those deals are not typical, but they do happen from time to time. I, I mean, I've never had one where I paid only 1,000 and sold, sold it for 55,000. That's, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. But I've had a lot of deals where we made a lot more than... 55,000, you know, flipping, flipping the property. So I think it's amazing. And a lot of people in the community thought it was amazing too. And lots of great responses and congratulatory things and, and stuff like that. And then there was a, a, a comment from someone else in our community that kind of started a little bit of the controversy. So, so this person says, to be honest, I don't, I don't understand all this congratulatory mood and excitement. The seller with high probability or rather certainty has been unaware of the value of the property or has been not of a sound mind. Anyway, 
I could not sleep well without paying him or her at least $10,000 more after closing the transaction, but perhaps I am not a good sleeper or I could calm my consciousness by taking melatonin. So many things I could do, but let's just stick to the facts here. And then do you want to read the response? Yeah. Uh, The original poster um, then responded. I thought it was a pretty good response. Just to set the record straight. Not that I have to explain myself. The seller is a retired attorney who didn't want the land. He has not paid the taxes in tears. He was going to let them take it. I did not coerce him in any way. I made an offer and he accepted it. I would have paid quite a bit more. And I sleep very well at night without melatonin or any other aid. Yes. That was my favorite line, by the way. <laughs> yeah. I think it was like an attempt by the other poster at being funny, like right. de-escalating. I understand the sentiment there that, you know, maybe, you know, maybe the that commenter thought that it was too much profit to make. You know, maybe that's like maybe there's some sort of ethical line in his mind. Like, where's the line? Like what what profit is acceptable and what profit is not acceptable. It's very clear in our book uh, when you have a seller and a buyer that negotiate a, a deal uh, that, you know, there's no, you know, there's no profit number or profit percentage or anything like that that is ethical or non-ethical. When you have an, uh, a seller and a buyer that come to an agreement uh, to do a deal, then that's all that's involved. I mean, like there's no, that's the ethics part of it. I mean, there's nothing, uh, there's nothing beyond that. Like, however, you can do whatever you want with that, that property. You can sell it, you can hold it, you can do whatever you want with it. But I don't think that there's any sort of unethical uh, well, aspect to it at all. Well, where's the line? Mm-hmm. And who decides? Right. And I think that's just something that's going on in, in the world right now. Where are lines and who decides? Mm-hmm. All these things. So I don't think it's even specific, like, just to this. It's people feel that their ethics maybe need to control other people's lives. But I just want to know, where's the line? How much is she allowed to make? What, like, what is an okay... And do I need to run all my deals through this person? Like, that's the whole thing. Okay, I have to say too, though, back up, and I've talked about it before, when you first came to me with this idea, I was kind of thinking like along those lines. I was. There was a split second where I was like, well, is it right to buy something and then relist it and make money? Right? And then I thought, my parents did this. They got a letter. They got, uh, someone couldn't pay a debt to them. They gave them a piece of land. And my parents held it for, I don't know how many years, 20 years. I have no idea. It was a long time. My parents never talked about this piece of land. They would never go there. It was just kind of like, yes, we own it. We pay taxes every year. And they were like, why are we paying taxes on this? They didn't care about this land. This they didn't someone, even buy it. They, didn't they get it from yeah, oh yeah, just, someone had, had... Hey, I just said that like owed, two seconds ago. Oh, you did? Oh. You were in your own thoughts. Right? Oh, okay. That, yes, Sorry. I said like, they got it. It was a bad debt. That's funny. Yeah, I'm like, that's wait true. A I missed that part. Okay. Wait a minute. It's weird. It's almost as like my husband doesn't listen to me. Oh, I listened to you. I'm sorry. Who said that? Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, they got it. It's just like they, they, my dad would take random stuff. If people couldn't pay, he'd be like, okay, I've got a, we'd come home and there'd be a boat. I'm like, okay, someone couldn't pay their debt, whatever. <sighs> so this wasn't odd. They didn't want this land. They were never going to develop this land. They paid every year. They had to remember to pay the taxes. You know, it was a burden. They didn't care. It had zero value. Uh, they get a letter in the mail. And someone, it was probably the same kind of thing, like old school way, you know, and my parents were like, oh God, someone wants to buy it. Okay, great. They did contact an, a real estate agent. I actually asked them about that. And the person's like, yeah, you could probably get more. I was like, well, what would it take to do that? Like, well, you need to come up here. You got to sign some, like, they're like, I'm not going up there. I don't know. I don't, I don't even know this land. You got to fill out disclosures. I don't know this land. I've never done it. They sold it. They were so excited. Yeah. They don't have to pay for it to get like the taxes. They got some cash. It was done. So I had to kind of work this through in my own mind. And then I started thinking about like so many times, like um, as a child, like, do you remember the Cabbage Patch Kids? I don't know if you did. Yes, I do remember them. I or, never got, I never had one though. Right. Or um, what was the Beanie Babies? We could go into a whole thing about that. Mm-hmm. It's called supply and demand, mm-hmm. right? And just because I buy it at a certain price, if I later find out so-and-so will pay more, I have every right to sell that. Like, no one's going to tell me I can't do that. Right. Right. I mean, some, there's so many different things where like you can do that. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's, it's all about supply and demand. Yep. And, and we're, we're essentially, we are the convenience buyer. So right. any of our land flipping deals that we do, I mean, that's our whole thing. That's our whole pitch to the sellers that we are a, an easy, the easiest buyer that you'll ever deal with. We close with cash and we close as quickly as the title company can get the paperwork done. So no drama. We're not asking them to do anything. We're not asking them generally to fill out a whole, you know, boatload of paperwork or disclosures or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're asking them questions so they can provide us any information they have on the property. But but it pretty much stops there. We do all our own research. We're not asking them to do anything to prep the property for sale. 
it's just done and it's quick. And obviously, in, in a lot of cases, if they did the full retail thing, they contacted a real estate agent, they put it on the market, they waited for that right buyer, they maybe did some things to prep the property, brush clearing, perk test, anything like that, that that might be required to get a property ready to sell. They could probably sell it for more. But to be honest, a lot, have, <laughs> a lot of people have a lot of things going on uh-huh. in their life. And this piece of land, I know it's everything in your world thinking about this purchase and everything. But to them, it's not. It's a hassle a lot of times. It's I'm not saying every situation, but for certain people, it's a hassle It's not something that they're focused on. It's kind of a thorn in their side when they get that property tax bill every single year or Mm -hmm. twice a year, whatever is is, uh, typical for that area. And, uh, you know, it serves them no benefit. So for them, you know, getting a easy cash type deal where they're fully aware that they're not getting full retail Mm -hmm. value for it is um, is the most desirable outcome for them. Right. Well, there's two things. If they really cared about it, they would do all those things to sell it. And I don't think any of the people we ever buy from are even thinking about selling. Mm -hmm. Not because they don't want to sell, just because... It's not top of mind. Right. And for some reason, land still doesn't feel valuable to people. I don't know why. I'll never understand that. But I felt the same way. I thought land, oh, it's cumbersome. It's not... And it's, I was wrong. I was so wrong. Um, And then the other thing is that even with all of our resources, sometimes it's hard to find people to do those jobs. It's hard to find someone who wants to sell land. It's hard to find somebody who will ethically or will clear, you know, paths. It's hard to find somebody who will do engineering. It's hard there. You have to find really good people and they might be really backed up and then you have to put out that money. And so if you've got a piece of land that you don't care about, you feel it's a burden, you're not going to put more money into it. And who's going to advise them how to do that? They would have no idea. You could call an agent and be like, hey, a real estate professional or a broker. You could be like, hey, I want to do this. And they'd say, okay, so you got to get a perk test done. You got to get these cleared, go down to the county and make sure that you file that. They'd be like, Well, first what? of all, a lot of these properties that we deal with are, you know, they might be a sale price of $50,000 or mm-hmm. under. Good luck in a lot of these areas finding a real estate agent that's super excited about taking in this, this really cheap listing. Uh-huh. Most of them are going to either pass you off onto you know, someone brand new on their team or they're going to just tell you that they're not able to do that. Yeah, I, I mean, know. like to them, it's, you know, and certainly if they do take the listing, a lot of times it's not going to become their primary focus. So what's going to happen? They might put it in the MLS with five pictures or something like that. And then it sits on the market for a year and doesn't sell. Right. And I don't blame agents for being in that predicament because, you know, what are you going to make? $1,500? Like around $1,000, $1,500 and you're going to answer a million calls or you could take a much higher property and your resources go to that. I don't like when agents take properties and they, in good faith, tell the sellers they'll sell it and they do a crappy job. But I don't blame the ones who won't do it. So it's there's so many different things that go into this. But I think it boils down to there's a lot of people that hold land that they don't care about. Exactly. It's just not, it's not their, it's not mm-hmm. their everything, you know, and in certain situations, it is the the seller, you know, a lot of people we contact, it means a lot to them. You know, that's, that's their main asset that they own. They're fine waiting the amount of time that it takes to sell right. it. They're, they're, they're willing to do extra things in order to make it retail ready. That's a completely different situation. And we're rarely working out deals with those types of people. Good but, for them. Yeah, good for them. I mean, that's, <laughs> you know, you know, I use this analogy all the time. We're the convenience buyer. Simply like when you have a car that you're trading in, say you're going to go buy a new car at the new car dealership and you are trading in your car, you know you're not getting top value for that car. I mean, it's the easy solution because you can just drive in there, you know, maybe negotiate some sort of deal with mm-hmm. them, but you're not getting top dollar and you know that. We used to sell, like when we would sell a car, we would sell at private party. Right. And I can tell you so many interesting stories about doing that, right? It's a hassle. It was a pain in the butt. Right. And we had little kids. And then you get to a point where we're like, you know what? I would rather take the hit on that. Okay, I might leave a chunk of money on the table, but I do not have to deal with it. I do not have to take phone calls. We do not have to meet people in random places. Right. And dark, at dark, yeah. you know, and in, in some random place. And, you know, oh you just don't, you're taking a chance, you know, don't know who you're meeting. And these people want to take a test drive. Like, what, how are you going to do that? It's not safe. It's just not safe. It's you not, either give them the keys to your uh-huh. car and then hope they come back or you go with them and put your life in danger. Right. Okay. So, you know, you could squeeze out a couple mm-hmm. thousand more or and whatever. You could do it, and we're being extreme. Like you could do it safely. You could do it in front of a police station. You can do all these things. Okay. Yeah. There's, there's a solution not, to every problem. Yes. Right. It's just not worth, I say that saying wrong, so I'm not even going to attempt it. The juice isn't worth the squeeze. Yes. But I was saying like really where it sounds really like, mm, no, yeah. that's not right. So I think that you have to understand, you need to get 
get into the mind of the sellers. Like you just nailed that though. You're a big percentage of people call and they're like, no, this is something of, you know, whatever. And we're not like, no, well, I don't care. You have to do it and <laughs> you're never going to sell it. We're like, okay, cool. Have fun. Right. Good luck. We wish you well. Yeah. It's not a big deal. And then you get the ones who are like, yeah, um, that sounds great. I'd rather use the money for this or you don't have to pay the taxes anymore. And how soon can I close and all this kind of stuff? Or I want a little bit more and we're like, okay, let's see. You know, we have to make sure it works for us. And they're like, okay, they understand how to work for us, how to work for them. You know, this, uh, the original poster, uh, it was uh, mentioned in her, her response that want to learn the secret to building a thriving land flipping business, head on over to landconquest.com and join over 2000 passionate land flippers, leveraging the power of community to scale quickly. Sign up for free at landconquest.com. All right, let's get back to the show. You know, the seller was an attorney. The seller uh, hadn't paid property taxes in two years. They were letting it it go. They were letting it go. It was not something they were interested in. They did not value it at all. Sure, they probably could have figured out a way to then retail it or whatever. But, you know, this person may have had tons of other things going on in their lives. And focusing on this property to squeeze the most out of it was not... Uh, the highest pro- uh, priority for them. You know, the other thing too, though, is that I know I cut you off. Sorry. You I always do. So I'm used to, it. I'm like, <laughs> to a lot of us, um, that seems like a lot of money. Mm-hmm. I think it is still a lot of money, mm-hmm. but to this person, the attorney, maybe that was nothing. It might've been nothing. And he was like, inconsequential. Uh, I do. Completely. Yeah, exactly. Like you good. I'm excited for you. I'm mm-hmm. glad you're going to make this kind of money. We had a situation this past weekend. Jump into that real quick. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is kind of a, an, a I guess, an example an of, of, of a, of a uh-huh. convenient solution for us. Monetarily, it's not, it, it wasn't was a, a bad decision. It, it, monetarily, mm-hmm. you know, if you look at it, like it, it may not have made sense on the surface. I don't think it was a bad decision. I think it's a great I decision. Think I still am like, right. yeah, I got, but, I got but, joy from it. But, but others may view the this monetary situation different than how we viewed it. Mm-hmm. So we have a a home that we are renting out. So it had a bunch of furniture in it that we have to had to find a solution for uh, furniture and some other things in it. We had to find a solution for before the tenants move in this upcoming weekend. You know, we had a couple different options. Obviously, we could take all that furniture, nice furniture and everything. We paid a lot of money for this furniture. Mm -hmm. We could have take we could have put ads online. We could have Craigslist, Facebook Marketplace, whatever people are doing these days for that stuff garage sale, estate sale, any of that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. We could have gone through all those steps and gotten some money for, for that stuff. We could have also donated it we and gotten a tax. It, and we could have done that as well. Mm-hmm. Or uh, what we decided to do, kind of last minute thing, and it ended up working out, is we, we posted in a, in a local uh, buy, sell Facebook group that like, hey, we've got, whole we've got all this whole house full of furniture. Uh, come over this afternoon if you want it. You know, it's kind of first come, first serve situation. And it was kind of a zoo. <laughs> people showed up, people were showing up and everyone was like, so what's the catch here? Why are you not giving it? You know, why, why are you, why are you giving it away? Yeah. Why aren't you selling this and, and everything? And we were like, well, to us, it was the easiest solution. Uh-huh. Obviously, we could have made the money by selling it. We could have gotten the tax write off by coordinating someone dropping it off over the donation place. Or we could just do the easy solution for us, which is just get rid of it that afternoon and move on with our lives. We've got a lot of other things going on, and our time was not best spent trying to maximize what we could get for this well, furniture. In the and three hours that we could have made, I don't even know how much, maybe $10,000 or even more. We paid a lot more for it, but it is used furniture. It was in really right. good shape, but we could have made, I don't know, ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000. I have no idea how much. But in those three hours, we probably could, like, long term thinking, we would have made way, we did, we'll make way more money. Yeah, we'll make way we'll more focusing on what we do. And the other thing that was kind of fun was just like these people were so excited, like yeah. bedroom sets for their kids, it, new well, it furniture. Was cool because it was like, um, it was like the best of both worlds. It was, it was like a donation, you know, we were able to donate the stuff, mm-hmm. but then we were actually able to, to directly do that and see who, who was actually getting the furniture. And they were so excited. So it was fun for us as well. It was so crazy that the neighbors called. And we're like, hey, there's people at the house because this house has been um, we we lived there a little bit here and there over five years. Uh-huh. And they thought, did someone post like, you know, you hear about that where it's like, oh, everything's free. And yeah. then people are showing up with these big trucks and trailers. And yeah, there's like, like seven trucks in the driveway uh-huh. at one point. Your house is being depleted. Is that you guys? Or we're like, yeah, it's us. And it didn't surprise them because we've done we've done others. Remember that time we went and bought a bunch of pumpkins and filled up our whole minivan and then gave them out for free? Yeah, yeah. That's, that was for a video that uh-huh. we were doing. Yeah, yeah, that was fun. It was fun. But so the reality is that that was not the most financially sound decision 
decision. We could have definitely. I, I, I take well, the, you're I right. take the you're, flip side uh-huh. of that. I think that that was the, the best financial decision mm-hmm. because the big picture, we should not be focusing our time on trying to sell things on Facebook Marketplace. When, when we could be putting our efforts into uh, our, our main business, which is, you know, mm-hmm. What we make per hour on doing something like that is way more than what we would right. be selling off furniture. So. And also, you're trying to put every single second into getting um, our software that, you know, we keep telling everyone, it's coming, it's coming. This is this is the reality is that, Pete, every single thing that we do that takes away the time from that, he's like, yeah, it's very upsetting. It, it just was like kind of a weird thing. But we were just sitting there and we we're like, OK, so what are we going to do with it? We have like a couple of days and you were like, I'm going to post this couch. I'm like, post the whole house. Yeah. And you know what? OK, I do agree that with that, that it was the... Big picture, financially better. Short term, maybe not. We could have made money, but you know what? No, no regrets. Yeah, no regrets. I was just that's it. I have to stop myself every single time. That's the best. So, you know, there's real world parallels that that prove that sometimes what we can't see from the outside are, is really the best decision for somebody else. And I have to trust that people. This is like a weird thing for me, but I have to do that. I have to trust that people will make the best decisions for themselves. You can't control everything. Why would you want to? Well, and I can't understand everything. Mm-hmm. That's the other thing. You don't know the big picture. You don't know the full picture. You don't know it. You don't know any of this stuff. And and to to uh, assume that you want to control someone else's actions and decisions and things like that uh, without having any of the inf- all the information mm-hmm. that they have is kind of I don't know what the word for it is, but it's not cool. <laughs> right. No. And, and I guess if we wanted to get into kind of the flip side of that, there are unethical ways to do things. Mm-hmm. Yes. You find somebody who's clearly not or I shouldn't say that again. I can't I can't diagnose someone with a mental disorder. But, mm-hmm. you know, if there's some sort of red flag that's raised. Right. And you push it. That's not right. That would be something I couldn't sleep with. Mm-hmm. Sleep yeah. with. I right. couldn't. Uh, sleep at night knowing. Yeah, okay. I mean, we've had we've had sellers before who I've just gotten the the vibe from them that maybe they're elderly or something like that, and they just are not making sense. I'm like, mm-hmm. hey, let's. I, I don't feel good about this deal. Let's just, you know, let's just uh, kill the deal because I don't. Last thing I want to do is to like be in a situation where like they didn't fully understand what they mm-hmm. were doing, and we got some indication that they just weren't making sense or something like that. We just you know walk away from the deal. So mm-hmm. what other um, situations where where are the convenience? I I, I put a little list. I oh. mean, uh, trading in a car is the big thing that I always given as, a, as an example, but but also going to the convenience store. So that's a, that's a big example mm-hmm. of how monetarily it's probably not the best decision, but convenience wise, it is the best decision. You know, do you want to do you want to uh, go to the grocery store 20 minutes away uh, or do you want to go two minutes down the street to the convenience store to get, you know, a loaf of bread or, right. you know, whatever you need? You know, like, it's going to be a lot more there. Right. Exactly. And you're fully aware of that. Um, but it makes sense in that situation. And that's right. a kind of a micro example, but it's it's a uh, it's kind of uh, it illustrates the point. Other thing, you know, related to that, you know, buying gas at, at a gas station that's a block away, but they're most they're, they're the most expensive in town. Or you can uh, drive to the other side of town where they've got the really cheap gas, but it's going to cost you a bunch of time and uh, burn up some more gas on the way over there and back. So, you know, the convenience options a lot of times is better. You, so. We've touched on this before, too, going out to eat, or in my case, yeah. DoorDash. Or DoorDash, I mean, yeah. if people saw my DoorDash bill, they would probably be, or expenses every month, they'd be like, oh, my Should God. Should we put a insane. screenshot up of this, uh, no. your DoorDash bill? No, okay. no, it's absolutely atrocious. And I accept that, but it's how I make sure my family is fed and as healthily as possible okay. and also be able to get stuff done. And I'd rather spend time with my kids than cook. I'm not a good cook. Uh-huh. Again, but you have I to think trust that. I think you're a good cook. I do know how to make like three things. Okay. I'm, I'm well, not those sure good things. spaghetti counts, but I appreciate that. Okay, well. Um, but you know what I mean? Like um, my priority is spending time with the kids. Right. And getting right. my work done. And so. And we know we can make more per hour than we can as, you know, uh, chefs or. <laughs> if I was, know? yeah. And if I was really good and enjoyed it, that might be a completely different. Maybe I'd involve the kids, but I'm just not. Mm-hmm. It's, but then again, you got to trust me to make these decisions for myself. You That's know what right. I mean? So. Yes. It's not unethical, you mean, for, for DoorDash to be charging those high fees and everything that they do? According to my sister and I got into this little dispute about tipping. I won't get into it, but I, I guess I tip atrociously and too high. You, you tip too much, she said. Yes, exactly. I know. I guess I should be careful. Yeah. But um, yeah, I tip way too much. And How much do you tip? Uh, a minimum of $15. I don't care where, if it's farther or more. Mm-hmm. You know, and then some people might say that's like not enough. I don't know. I don't look at the total because to me, it's not about like going to get the bags. It's about your their time, mm-hmm. you know, and most of the stuff we buy is just maybe five or six minutes away. So 15 bucks to drop it off. I don't care. You guys can 
throw hate at me for that. But I feel like I feel like if that was my kids doing that job or somebody, you know, I, I don't know. I just feel like that would that's the minimum that they should have to get to to do this half hour of work. I'm fully on board with you there. I mean, that really makes sense. You to just me. like it because it makes it means that we have food. Hmm? Yeah, well, it makes my, st- I don't have to worry about it. <laughs> right. I think it's a. I think it's an amazing. It's a trade off. Uh, I, I think DoorDash mm-hmm. is an amazing thing. Now, obviously, the whole whole gig economy with Uber mm-hmm. and DoorDash and, and things related to that that have come come that are very similar, I think, are just amazing for both sides. You know, mm-hmm. you've got the the people that can work sort of like when they want to, and then you've got the other side that is looking willing to pay for the convenience aspect that, that's available now. So. Right, and I'm. Again, it comes back to trusting people that make decisions. Like I trust that that person's doing the right thing. They they probably have a whole system. I know a lot of them will do like Uber Eats and DoorDash at the same time and stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I always pay the extra. So like whatever, a few bucks to get it quicker. Um, so I think it all, it adds up for them and they're, and they're able to supplement that money. Yeah. So, and then the last example I said is giving away or donating things rather than selling them online. Mm-hmm. So what we offer to people, obviously we're the convenience buyer when we're into the land, this land flipping business. So is our solution right for everyone? You know, no. obviously it's not. Yeah, it's I was, not. That's what I was saying. It's like but nothing's ever good for everybody. No, right? it's not one size fits all. It works in some situations. Mm-hmm. I know it's a small percentage of the overall you know, pool of property owners. But for the certain percentage, certain aspects of that market, it does work and it's a, the best solution for them. So who does it work for? So I, I put this kind of a list of some kind of standard categories that some of these people fall mm-hmm. into. First of all, inherited. Right. So we see we run into that a lot. A lot of people inherit properties. They may not live anywhere close to this property. They may not have ever stepped foot on the property. They may know nothing about it, care about it. They may not have the money to pay the property taxes on that property to maintain it. So it has absolutely kind of no value it's for a them. Negative value. It's a negative. Mm-hmm. They're not getting any use out of the property. They're only seeing money going out and a liability associated with that property. So inherited. That's that's a common that's a common category. Also, uh, if they've got sort of no connection to the property at all, you know, this could be a situation where they bought a property on a whim, uh, you know, they thought they were buying a deal one time or, you know, all kinds of situations where, where they're not, it's not their family's land that's been there for a hundred years or something like that. They've got no like emotional connection. Right, there's to the no property. vested emotion to there's, this. Yeah. No vested mm-hmm. emotion to it. That's, that's a good uh, way to put it. And then you say behind on property taxes. Yes. That's, that's a, a lot. Yeah. Yeah. That happens. That happens quite a bit. And, you know, we bought one, you know, there's a number of, a bunch of them that we bought that way, but you know, if they've behind on property taxes, um, one in particular, you know, we were really, really rushing in order to get oh, yeah. the sale done before the tax before sale. the tax sale. Yeah, and it wasn't just get it wasn't just simply like getting the paperwork done. We had to pay for uh, an eleven thousand dollars survey out of pocket so this property could be sold because the legal description was kind of all messed up on the property. Which so is in order, common. Yeah, yeah, it happens sometimes. But like this is a large property, it needed to. Uh, needed to get surveyed before we could actually get title insurance and purchase the property because they needed a legal description to actually insure. Right, it. they needed yeah. they needed to be able to insure it. and They wouldn't insure it without it. It was not a it's you know a situation like that. It's not a retailable situation. So obviously they could list it with an agent or whatever, but a lot of buyers aren't going to want to put out that type of money for a survey, and they're not going to be able to close that quickly the to beat the sale. Would, and, didn't have the money, right? Like the, the, yeah, the seller had no resources to actually get this done, right? So, so the seller instead of just losing it to a tax sale, mm-hmm. they actually got some money. Yeah, so that was that was the, for the, for the seller. This was their option; they could just let it go to the tax sale, and they get zero. They mm-hmm. lose the property, everything. It's it's just it's just done. Or they work with someone like us. We get the survey done. We take the steps to, in order to to make sure it happens before the the tax sale, uh, and they get a nice chunk of change that they wouldn't have gotten if they just let the property go to sale two months later. Right, and, so. and there was risks too because even though it was pretty certain that um, you know, I mean, it would it would be unlikely that there would be a problem with that survey, but there was still we put out eleven thousand dollars that something could still have come up. Yeah, something could and have we came, would have been out that yeah, money. Some, something could have come up and. We would have been, you know, basically screwed on that situation. But, you know, sometimes Ooh, you, you got to take some word. risks. Oh, yes. Also, properties that are not retailable in current condition, mm-hmm. you know, could be property with like trash, garbage all over or something like that. And the seller doesn't have the resources to get that cleaned up, nor do they want to go through the hassle of hiring someone and getting bids and all this kind of stuff that goes with that. Right. So that happens a lot. You know, properties that are not really not retailable in their current condition. 
And then people that cannot uh, wait for an extended marketing time frame. Maybe they've got something, they've got an opportunity they want to take advantage of. They need some quick cash. They know they're not going to get top dollar, but they'd rather have the money quickly rather than later. Could be, you know, that could be for any number of reasons where they need money fast. But, you know, taking the traditional marketing approach where they list it with the real estate agent and go through all the, that whole process, that takes time. So, in, in certain situations, they just the sellers don't have time to go through that extended process. Right. And priorities change. And also when these people bought it, they might have paid $300 for it. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so now you're saying, oh, it's worth 30000 You offered them X amount of dollars or we, we anticipated it selling for $30,000 and we paid X amount for it. And but the reality is they only paid 300 for it, mm-hmm. you know, right. and then every year they're paying taxes or whatever. You also um, touched on something else. Oh, I think there was one time where they were like, oh, yeah, we're going to use this for like a take the whole family on an epic um, vacation. I can't remember exactly. I don't know if that spurred anything. But I remember thinking, I could see that. I can see like that priority changing. I'm going to leave my family this land, right? And then we see what happens when they leave them land. People get inherited. It goes to 5,000 different people. They don't care about the land. Right. They didn't buy it. It's a burden that Mm -hmm. their family member left them with. Or they could take them on an epic vacation, as the whole family. It's like, again, I don't need to understand that. I need to I need to trust that they're making the right decisions for themselves with all the information. And if someone flat out tells you, what are you going to do with the land? What do you say? Uh, we're, we're an investment company. So we generally, we buy, sometimes we'll do some minor improvements and we'll resell it. Okay. And then if they said, if I could sell this, if I used Joe down the road to sell it, could I get more money? Yes. I mean, like this is so <laughs> it's like, so it's, that's where the false ethical dilemma comes up. Mm-hmm. As long as you are being ethical to tell the truth, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There's no ethical problem. No, most I people mean, are like, great. Most people I aren't going to ask you or care. Uh-huh. And they know that. No. I mean, they, they don't know that. Like if I'm trading in a car at the dealership, do I go, what are you now, do? now if I sold this on Craigslist, would I be able to get more for it? Mm-hmm. Or I sold this at a private party. Do you think I'd be able to get more for it? You know, it's car dealers are one thing, but you know, they might, they might, you know, say, oh, uh, maybe, but you're going to have to go through right, all this whole process true, and yeah. everything. But you know, so mm-hmm. the thing is, it's like I'm not going to ask them that because I know the answer already. Right, but like, can you imagine asking the car dealer when you trade it in, what are you going to do with this car? Right. <laughs> what are you going to do with it? Like, uh, and I've asked them before, are you, you going to like put this out in the lot out front and this could be, you know. My favorite, they're like, no, yeah. we're going to be, this is no, going to auction. No, we're taking this to the auction. Yeah. And that's what they and do. And then you're like awkward. You're like, okay. Because they know when they take it to the auction, they'll probably make more than what they paid for it. So they're making money on that They too. definitely will. Yeah. Yeah. No. And that's just how, you know, it's supply and demand. Care? No. No. You don't. Do you think that like you're buying something at Walmart and they realize, oh, there's a, this is in, in, you know, big, or you know what a perfect example is during that whole thing, uh, the housing market, you know, kind of when it went up at the peak of COVID and supplies, you couldn't get stuff right. and wood got really expensive. Mm-hmm. Wood got really expensive. Right. They, they bought it, they supply sold it, demand. it was blind demand. That's what businesses, you know, especially most businesses are, you know, uh, where, where they're selling a product is they're buying it for a lower price and reselling it for a higher price. You know that Walmart is buying all that stuff for way cheaper than what you're paying for it. Do you have a, a problem with Walmart doing that? No, because I need Walmart to be there for the things I have to buy. And if they don't make money, they won't be there. Right. And it has a direct impact on the people who work there. Yes. I mean, Walmart's not my favorite place. Um, Mine neither. So I'm not saying Walmart's I great. I haven't been in a Walmart for, I think, three or four years. At and least. And I want to keep that streak going. Yeah, but you don't do any of the shopping, so that's not True. abnormal. When was the last time you were in a Target? Yeah. Sometime over the last year. You think? Mm-hmm. Our little daughter likes to go to Target, so. God. Had to take her a couple of times. You know, I saw something funny. It was like, I remember when I was a, a kid, I was so excited for a new box of crayons. If it was like the 64 pack with the oh. sharpener. And these kids want boba tea, Starbucks, sushi. And, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Different world. We're yeah, old. Yeah, it's a different world. So we went through the kind of list of who does it work for? Who doesn't it work for? You know, these yeah. are some common categories. Obviously, they're looking for top dollar. This does not work for them because nope. we are not paying top dollar. We are not the retail end buyer. We are the investor buyer. Boost your land flipping earnings with our new Land Conquest business system. It's designed for efficiency and effectiveness. This cutting edge software tool is your key to success in the land flipping industry. Streamline and automate your operations to scale your business to new heights. With our system, you get a customizable website with six professional templates to choose from, up to five dedicated phone numbers, each with their own chosen area codes for creating a trustworthy local presence. And as a bonus, you'll get a $25 credit for SMS and email sends. You'll also get access to our tech team to build any automations or customizations that you want. And not to mention, we've got a great 
dedicated community to the Land Conquest business system to help us all thrive together. And with every step of the way, you get our 24-7 live chat support. But that's not all. You'll also gain access to our exclusive community to connect and grow with fellow land flippers. Seize the opportunity to transform your business. Visit software.landconquest.com to check out the Land Conquest business system and unlock the next stage of your land flipping success. Right. And ethically, we're not going to try to force someone like this. Well, yeah, I mean, we wouldn't try. We it, wouldn't. Hey, you know, I think you're never going to get that much if you put it on the market. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like not more, like we're saying that kind of stuff. No. I mean, we're, we're up front with who, who we are, what we do, what we're offering them. So those sellers that have no real time crunch, no time limit, you know, like if they are willing to put it on the market and just wait for that, that one perfect buyer, uh, you know, we're not the... We're not the solution for them. Also, someone that may have the, like a deep connection to the property where they really want to know what's going to happen with the next mm-hmm. buyer. Like they want to sell it to a neighbor or they want to sell it to uh, someone that they're going to have a little bit of sway with who's going to do something with the property that they want some sort of control over that. Like we're, we're not. First of all, yeah. good luck with that. But yeah. yeah, also, yeah, like where it was me, mom, papa's and they went to right. their camping every summer. Right. You know. Yeah, so you know, Fair a situation enough. like that, it those those don't don't work. So, mm-hmm. and I just put a couple more questions at the end of our little cheat sheet here. How much profit is too much? That's the whole thing. Like, how much is too much? And and that's where it's like where why we don't try to get into that. It's, it's not about that. It's, it's about, about that what what would make you happy as the seller and what would work for our numbers. Yeah, that's exactly it. We don't care about who the seller is. We we don't take that. That's not a consideration. We don't see the sellers. We're not, you know, understanding their story in the sense of like, well, it's got more sentimental value. We need to give them more. No, it's it's strictly, does this work for them? And I again, we trust them to make the right decision for them. And does it work for us? Yeah. How could you possibly define that? You can't. You can't. No. Oh my God. And then you're, you know what I mean? Then is that even ethical? Mm-hmm. Like I like their story more than I like their story. So I'm going to give them more. I guess anyone can run their own business the way they want to. Maybe if you want to set some sort of internal parameters for yourself where you're like, I only feel good about making a 50% profit margin, or I only feel good if I do this, and you want to donate the rest of the profit to someone else or give it to the seller, I mean, you could, that's it. your business. You could do whatever you want. It's not. Oh, I thought of something that could sway me, hmm. and which is why I don't get involved in that side of things. I think if, if we were selling to a hunter, because I don't hunt, mm-hmm. that I might upcharge them. Oh, is okay. that ethical? If you can work I mean, out whatever like, deal you want, I you know exactly though. So should I ask everyone? Be like, hey, do you plan to hunt with this property? And then like before we agree to the sale price, you did run it by me, and then it's like a ten percent hunter premium. Do you see what I mean? How like yeah. this just doesn't it doesn't yeah. you can't control it. You no, can, you and can't it's control not my place every aspect to. of the deal. Right. Know? I would love if hunting went away, but I also know that that's not my place. Mm-hmm. At least yeah. right now. Okay. And then the last thing was where do you draw the line? And that's, it's, the, we already talked about that, but yeah, it's, it's impossible to draw mm-hmm. that line. I mean, I mean, I guess unless you want to set some sort of personal parameters for yourself in some sort of way, but. I think that know. the way that, that, and that I mitigate all of this, and this is not just making money with this, it's just making money in general, is that to feel fulfilled and a, and some sort of, you know, a good person in society, you have to have other ways that you give back. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where it comes down. Right. It's not about this. If someone agrees to sell it at a certain price, I, again, trust them to make the right decision. If I feel like we have more money than we need for whatever reason, then or that it, we need to be charitable, then we find other outlets for that. Yeah, And then you, you do it directly. Like it, it, going back to the furniture, it felt good to give it to people directly. Mm-hmm. There was no middleman. There was no any weird, you know, it was like, this child needs a bed. Great. We've got a bed. You need a couch. We've got a couch. You need furniture for whatever room. Here you go. So I think that you need to maybe kind of look on the other side. And most people, I think that that kind of get the high from the buy and the sell also have that spirit yeah. and like to give back in ways that are important to them. And then I trust them to give back in the ways that they want to. Yeah. And, and I guess, I guess if you're having this dilemma, you know, on the on the buy side, paying too little for it. Like, are you also going to have that dilemma on the sale side? You are. Oh, you know, like I I paid fifty thousand for it. Do I feel bad about selling it to someone for one hundred fifty thousand? You know, maybe maybe it'd be best if I just said, hey, just pay me sixty thousand dollars, and I'd feel a lot better. Mm-hmm. Good luck. <laughs> yeah. But again, this is just I think there is ethics do come into play. Right. There's absolutely an ethical way to do things. Again, somebody that you just don't feel. It's kind of like a bartender. Mm-hmm. Someone's drunk. You, yeah. you need to cut them off. Right. Like that's eth- even if it's the law or not the law, that's an ethic 
you do, you just don't do it, right. right? I would never serve alcohol to a minor. Like there's there's certain things, but the same kind of thing in that in the sense that as long as they're open to the consideration and and it's a legal contract and you make sure that they understand exactly what's happening and that you know what I mean, like right. You're taking your honestly. You're taking a risk on every. You don't know what's going to happen on every single one of these deals. Anyhow, you're taking a risk. You win some, you lose some. Yeah. So some deals work out great. Some deals work out not as good. But the fact that you, you know to the this assumption that you know that things are going to go a certain way, you don't. So no. Anyhow, and I guess the other thing is, if you're really struggling, this isn't the right thing for you because mm-hmm. this is. You need to understand you're the convenience buyer. Mm-hmm. You're going to get maybe a certain a small percentage of people want to do it. That's fine. You mm-hmm. found your people. And then you're going to put it on the market. The other the other side of that is the flip side is that we have a huge housing market crunch and um, raw land is more needed than it ever is. And there's more solutions for people. They can put small homes on there. They can put mobile homes on there. So you even though you're not creating the more reasonable priced housing, you're a part of that process. Right. And or it would just sit there. Exactly. And, and in a lot of cases, too, maybe not a lot, but a, a certain percentage of our properties, we're adding value to them in some way. Uh, so right. it's not like they're retail ready. Anyhow, we're putting investing some extra money and doing that survey or doing some brush clearing or something like that to make it so it's it's a retailable type property so and we have agents that we can do such a a large volume that they're willing to take the projects right exactly so why don't we get into the uh, next section where we're actually talking uh we've picked out cherry picked four different questions or posts in our land conquest community and we will kind of answer that. We always do that as a segment towards the end of our podcast. If you've, you're new to listening to our podcast. Um, while I find these, can you tell everyone where, if they're interested in land oh, flipping, yes. where all that kind of stuff? Yeah. So you've heard me mention Land Conquest a couple of times. Landconquest.com is where you find our community. It's our land flipping community. We're almost have a couple thousand members in there now, both brand new and experienced land flipping investors and some awesome conversations happening in there. Uh, so it's really, really valuable uh, if you're trying to figure out this business and, and and maybe understand if it's the right business for you. Mm-hmm. But in that, and as part of that community, we have our Land Conquest training program. And that is given to all of our community members at absolutely no cost. It's a similar training programs. I don't, first of all, I don't think there's a lot of similar ones because we tried to make the best possible training program we could. But uh, others, uh, places you might be charged thousands of dollars for this type of training. And for us, it's absolutely free. Right, and there's there's no cost nothing to, held back. And there's no cost to join the community. No cost to join the community. Yeah, it's completely, okay. completely free. Yeah. Point that out. You don't have to like pay to join the community, but then you get that for free. No, right. it's all at no cost. And, and everyone asks, well, well, okay, so what's the catch? It's probably not a great course or something like that. And there is no catch, uh, but we will stay, still make money in this whole situation. I mean, we've got a number of different things that we can, we can make money from. One of them is our Partner with Pete program. You can find that at partnerwithpete.com. Essentially, what we're doing here with Partner with Pete is that we uh, have our investors bring a deal, submit a deal on that, which they have under contract. We will then look at the deal. And and if it's a true deal and it fits within our parameters, we will fund that deal, meaning we'll actually send the money to close the transaction. We'll do every single step of the process. We'll do all the research, the due diligence, you know, close it with the title company. We'll do the marketing. We'll hire the agent. Right. We'll do every, we use everything. our network and resources to our your whole advantage. Team, yeah. Yes. So we take all of that off your plate as an investor, and we send the money to close the deal. And then when the dust settles and we resell the property, we split the profits 50-50. It's a very simple situation. Mm-hmm. You bring the deal. We do everything else. We split the profits 50-50. And you get to leverage our team and all of our experience in, in the process. I, one so. thing I want to point out that I'm not sure I said before was that like when we give out the training program for free, it's because we want you to be properly trained. We want you to have all the knowledge that we've used to get these deals. Like We give you everything because our hope is then you will bring the deals and we can partner with you on them. That's so, the whole thing. So if it was a crappy training program, we wouldn't get any leads. We want good quality leads. We train you to do that. We both benefit. You make money. We make money. And you get a free program. If you do not want to partner with Pete, you can partner with. No, I'm just kidding. Partner with other. We'll <laughs> I, I know, love to set up a mirror saying, site to see who does better. That's fine too. We're happy that we can share a really good training program and resource, and hopefully, we'll be able to partner in other ways. Well, you know, and and uh, before we move on from partner partner with Pete, I just did an interview with uh, one of our partner with Pete investors that we've worked with. He just made nineteen thousand dollars and some change. I need like a little cha-ching. Yeah, cha-ching. You know, like <laughs> he made nineteen thousand dollars and some change, and so did we by funding the deal. He just submitted it on there. He's a member of our community. Great guy. And um, 
Yeah, I looked at it and was like, okay, this is a deal. This is what we're looking for. So we agreed to fund the deal. We did all the whole process, listed it on the market, resold it, closed. He gets a wire of $19,000 and some change directly from the title company at closing, and we get our profit wired to us as well. Yeah, I mean, it was just uh, it, it was a great situation. For, from his perspective, he did the marketing mm-hmm. to find the deal. He got it under contract. And then submitted it to us, and we took it from there. And that was out of, you know, he, he didn't have to do anything else in order to see that profit happen. When so. we decided to do this whole thing where we were going to get into, like, training and back-end support for investors, we thought, okay, when you first started, what would have made it better? Like, mm-hmm. what would it, and, and a couple things. Obviously, you want to put all your money into sending the mailing out, or, you know, or you're just kind of unsure, and it's kind of nice to have somebody else take the risk. Well, that's the thing. There, and get a second you know, opinion. As, yeah. as the investor bringing the deal, once we agree to work together on it, there's absolutely no risk for the investor anymore. We take all the risk. It's our money. We send the money to close it. If anything were to go wrong, you know, say we lost money on the deal and it wasn't a deal or something like that, that's our loss. We're not coming after you and saying, hey, you know, you owe us this money. And it's none of that stuff. It's like we take all the risk. Um, So as the investor, from the investor's perspective, they get half of the upside, none of the downside. So I think especially getting going on things before you really, really understand what's a deal, what's not a deal and everything like that, leveraging investors that have done that before Mm -hmm. know what the deal is and what isn't a deal. I think that's a great uh, risk mitigation strategy. Right. And then they also don't have to like worry about um, that kind of capital. Because, you know, you don't have to you don't have to have like hundreds of thousands of dollars to get started. You focus on spending your money on getting those getting the leads and let us handle the rest. And we'll do big deals as well. Boy deals? Big boy deals. Yeah. (laughs) Big Uh, deals. Yeah. So uh, bigger deals, meaning, you know, close to half a million dollars and things Mm -hmm. for to buy pieces of land. So we're not shy when it comes to that stuff. If it's it's a a deal. deal. Exactly. And that goes back to my other thing. Don't force a deal. Mm -hmm. Just need to do that one. Was there more you wanted? Okay. So we touched on. Oh, yes. Okay. So, and then, and then the other thing, which is coming very soon, and I don't have any sort of official announcements, but first of all, we've got our (laughs) land conquest business system, which will actually be ready very soon. I know Mm -hmm. I've been talking about it forever, but it's the it's the software. It's the backbone of our entire land flipping operation. It's your business system. It's that our you, business we system. It's, it's all of our systems that we build out that make our business run like a mm-hmm. well-oiled machine. There's that uh, which will be released very soon, and we're also letting other investors, you know, use that system. Use it as well. too. And I want to point out too that it. I think it takes the place of multiple other people. So if you're a one-man team or a two-man team, this will help you. You don't have to yes. hire like a full team like we have right away. Right. Exactly. I don't. I feel like I'm. I'm not even talking much but my voice is going a little oh. and then you have one more thing that, that oh yeah kind of, and, and then uh pretty soon uh and i don't have anything official to announce on this as well but our mentorship program is coming soon as well so we're going to have details coming on that we're super excited about that uh doing some things that haven't seen before but not saying it doesn't doesn't exist but very excited because i think there's going to be some real opportunities for some people to build some some real businesses and, and really do some life-changing things as a result of this so well we realize kind of excited. there is a very a need for a, an extremely high level group mm-hmm. you know where you're actually sharing real information leads uh, i'm sorry um contacts all, all this kind of stuff and and the reason why it's not available yet is because it needs it's going to be like very very fine-tuned yeah yeah so we, we've got uh, some exciting things in the works mm-hmm. that uh you'll be hearing about very soon, but you have to join our community in order to hear all the details. Landconquest.com. Landconquest.com. There's orange buttons all over that site. Just print one of those and that will get you in. Okay, let's get so. to questions now. Abby okay. says, varied valuation in same neighborhood. Hey, all, how do I settle on a value when the sold comps are all over the place? She's saying like 11K to 35K on 10 acres. Obviously, the top end makes the deal great, but the low is not really worth it once I pay realtor fees and closing. I spoke with one realtor, but the area is so remote and without being under contract, all she wanted to do was give me the list of comps I already had found on Zillow. And do you always go with the low end just to play it safe? Thanks. Yeah. So that's, that's <laughs> a little bit of a tough uh, situation. So you've got comps, you know, you may be looking at a particular area and you're seeing these sold comps kind of all over the place. Like, you know, in this case, one was 11,000, one was 30,000. And obviously it makes sense. The deal might make sense if you could sell it for 30,000, but if, but if you're only going to sell it for 11,000, it might be a loss. So, so what do you do in, the, in a situation like that? So you've got a couple things. Uh, first of all, you can contact local agents, which uh, Abby already did here, you can just stick with that one agent or you can talk to another agent as well, because sometimes you get an agent that just doesn't want to play ball, does not really understand it. And doesn't want your business. Doesn't want your business. Yeah, that's probably a small deal for this agent. Mm -hmm. So you might have to make multiple calls in order to find someone that really 
understands what they're doing. And I would kind of get pretty granular on that. Like sometimes I, we use land ID to kind of research our properties. So maybe what I'll do in that situation is I'll look at that $11,000 comp in detail. Like maybe I'll try to find that parcel number and look that up on land ID and see how it compares specifically to your property. You might pull it up on land ID and see that it's all wetlands or something like that. And you're like, okay, that's why it's sold for this. Or maybe you see it on Zillow as a sold comp, but then you realize, oh, this is an off-market deal, and it was an off-market deal to another land investor. So, you know, when we're looking at these at these sold comps, we're looking for market sales. You know, it was listed on the market with a real estate agent, and that's that's what you're comparing them against. Because if it's not, if it's just some sort of record of a, of a sale from from the county records, it could be selling to a family member. It could be selling to a neighbor where they got some sort of barter type deal going on, or you know, you just don't know the situation. Are you looking for funding for your land flipping deal? Then head on over to partnerwithpete.com. It's an innovative new funding program where we split the profits with you 50-50, but we take it one step further and we handle every other step of the process in the land flipping business. Yes, that means we handle all the due diligence. If the property needs any value add like clearing brush, perk test, survey, we'll get that paid for up front. Then when the property resells, we split the profits 50-50. There is absolutely no downside for you as an investor. If we lose money, we don't pass that on to you. But when we make money, when we make profit, we split the proceeds 50-50. So as a recap, we handle every part of the process. We split the profits with you 50-50. There's no downside for you as the investor, only upside. So go to partnerwithpete.com, submit your deal there, and we'll get it checked out within 24 hours. So it's... Um, you got to rely on information that's as verifiable as possible. And make sure you're comparing the same property to the same property as close as possible. Apples to apples. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So you don't want to be looking if your property is flat and it's like a nice field on it or something like that. And then you're looking at the low comps where it was side of a mountain or something like that. Well, that makes sense. You know, you're not going to pay as much for for that acreage as you would for nice, you know, beautiful farmland or something. So you really got to dig in deep. But, and also don't push a deal if it, if it just right. is like... Uh, exactly. And that's that's kind of the, the last thing. Like mm-hmm. if you have dug deep and you can't really get the real answers that you're looking for, I always err on the side of caution. Like, you know, I, I'd say just not do it because it's you don't have you don't have all the information and right. you're just kind of guessing. So it's a gamble. And, uh, if you don't have all the information that you need to make an educated decision, you're taking a gamble. And maybe you want to. I don't. Yeah. Pete's no. not allowed to. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Pete's not allowed to. Okay, you ready for the next one? Sure. Okay, Fire HOA. Away. What are the biggest challenges with buying and selling parcels in, inside an HOA? Okay, HOAs. I'm not a big fan, you know, for the land flipping business. First of all, we've we've sold a bunch of properties that are located within HOAs, and, and almost every single time, they've taken longer to sell. You know, a lot of these HOAs, they might have a gated community or something. It's harder for people to actually go in there and actually see the property, number one. Number two, a lot of people are looking for properties outside of HOAs. There, it's it's less desirable for a lot of these buyers that we're dealing with to be located within an HOA because they're 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 seeing it as like um, a situation where they're being told what to do. They've heard horror stories and a lot of cases about HOAs being too controlling about what they could do with their land. And well, it's they're limited, literally limited on what they can do. Right. And it's there's probably harder to architectural build. Architectural committees. Exactly. There's uh, you know other paint people colors, are controlling you. There's yeah exactly so. That's not really an appealing aspect to a lot of buyers out there. The ones that want the perfect homes and want to live in that type of community, you know, obviously they, they might be looking for something like that, but it's a smaller buyer pool and it makes it harder to sell. So if you get past all that, you know, like what are the challenges? You know, things, uh, HOA fees are, are a challenge, you know, because you're paying holding costs generally t- to own that property mm-hmm. within that, that HOA. So that's another consideration. That's on top of property taxes. Other considerations are that... Uh, it's just, um, you know, it's, it's just going to take a while and, and you have to get it really, really cheap a lot of times in order for it to make sense. So I'm not a big fan. If it's a super ultra great deal, uh, you might want to consider it. But in a lot of cases, eh, you may want to move on to the next one. I want to add something else too. like for an HOA, you are at the mercy of like the risk is that they, it's not run well. Mm, you know yes. what I mean? And then it, it goes defunct and, and then or they do an emergency assessment. Yeah, that while you own too. it. That's yeah. always fun. They're like, okay, great. You just bought this deal. Okay. And you're, you think you've got $15,000 profit and they're like, we're doing an emergency assessment for the roads. Everyone has to pay 15,000. Yeah. You know, if you're doing it right, buying a property in one of these communities, you're paying 
a fee to get all the HOA docs, Mm -hmm. which is generally, you know, the meetings that have happened and, you know, the financials from the management company and things like that. And then you're reviewing all these things in detail and you got to look through the meetings to say, like, were they approved this road assessment to happen on this date where you're, you know, everyone's chipping in $5,000, you know, so you know, you got to be real careful. It's a little more advanced. And uh, I'm just not convinced that it's worth the the upside is really there in a lot of situations. I mean, it might sound appealing because in the, in these HOAs, sometimes they're able to get those high sales. But generally, if you look really deep into those high sales, it may have been a situation where the property was on the market for like two years or something like that. And then, you know, that perfect unicorn buyer came along and bought that property mm-hmm. at the asking price. And It's a different it, game. It's a different game, yeah. Yeah, I would look at time on market. How many homes actually exist in that community? Is this just a community yeah. where it's completely built out and flourishing, where you've got, you know, a couple lots left in the community that are not built on? That's completely different than a one where you've got, you know, 5% of the lots are built on. Right. You know, that, that's, a, that's a challenge because everyone is in, in the situation where they want to sell their lot too because they're not, they're not building mm-hmm. on it. Yeah, and are the comps that you're looking at in that community? Because mm-hmm. anything outside that community doesn't matter. It's not relevant. And yeah. is the person that's going to buy your property that's looking in that price range a mobile home buyer? Mm-hmm. Or you, they want to put a mobile home on it. And is that allowed in your CC or your... HOA docs. Yeah. I don't know. So you just know what you're getting into. Yeah. It can be, we have a a property in an HOA and it's amazingly run and Mm -hmm. super awesome. Right. Not sure I'd buy a piece of land. Well, actually, and and they're quick to make decisions. It's a unicorn. Right. And so, Mm -hmm. but they're like that 1% maybe. Right. And there's no ego. Right. You know, we're all in agreement. Knock on wood though. That lasts yeah. now that I put that out there. Um, okay. Oh, and, and a question for me. Yes, I threw one. I threw you. Um, threw you a bone. Threw me a bone. I know. Well, let's have you answer it then. No, I'm not qualified to answer. <laughs> That's why I put it on here. Ken says bookkeeping software. What are you guys using? QuickBooks. I love QuickBooks. I use QuickBooks for everything. It works the way my brain thinks. There's infinite amounts of YouTube videos, not specifically to land, but like if I get stuck on something, I can ask our CPA too. However, it's it's pricey. It's expensive. So it just depends on the volume you're doing. I know there's something called FreshBooks that I've never used, but it's cheaper. I know that there's people who just use spreadsheets. If you have a CPA, ask them what, if they care. Some people, some CPAs will only, like they have certain software that, that they insist that you have to use. I don't know. I mean, it, it's pretty much the, the industry standard. So I think anytime you're going to deviate from that industry standard, you might get some resistance either from the service providers you're working mm-hmm. with or something like that. So generally, if you want to make your life easier getting started, I would suggest going with the, what everyone else uses. Yeah. <laughs> so. And something that you always say is I really I like doing it. I don't know. It's, I'm weird. I'd like you're I weird. Yes. <laughs> I know. Right. Uh, I really enjoy it. it it's like a uh, I don't know how to describe it, but it's I like numbers. It's basic. It's easy. And I like knowing where we're at. I like knowing how much we, you know, are in on each property. I love knowing that kind of stuff. And when you need a report or something, I can get it for you instantly, but I know how to do it. If that's not your thing, set up QuickBooks and hire a bookkeeper from the beginning. Make sure that they have every single thing that they need. Don't wait till the end of the year. And also you need to know how you're doing. You need to know your actual, like we talk about all these numbers. That's great, but it really means nothing if you can't actually see it and pinpoint it. And the reason that we can pinpoint it is because we keep meticulous records. Mm -hmm. The other thing too, is that you keep separate records than I keep and they're the same. Right. Like we don't do any weird bookkeeping things except for that you like to see it in a different format than QuickBooks. Yeah. yeah, Well, I also keep a, you know, a basic spread. It's it's turned more complicated over time, but Mm -hmm. I keep a spreadsheet where I can, I can just look at things at a glance and just, if I need to reference quickly, like, Hey, what do we pay for this property? Where, you know, like, so Mm -hmm. if I need to make a decision, like what offer, how are we going to respond to this offer or something like that? So I've got, you know, quick information so I don't have to, you know, dive into the books to, to get some of those details, but you know, so, you know, I'm sure you'll come up with your own systems as well if you get into this business, but QuickBooks, I think is, is where you need to be. I think so. So we got another question, acreage preference. Hi all, just a quick question, a quick cue. Do you people focus on smaller properties, less than five acres, or do you focus on bigger ones? Is there an acre range that is the best or is it regions, county specific? Thanks. It is for you. Isn't that funny? People are very specific on their locations. Personally, you know, I love the bigger properties. You know, when I say bigger, I, you know, five to 10 acre plus, those are properties that I like dealing with the most. But especially with, on the Partner with Pete program, you know, we're willing to fund any sort of deals in any sort of areas and any sort of property size. It doesn't, doesn't really matter. But when we're doing our own outreach and everything like that, I, I just feel like the larger properties are easier mm-hmm. <laughs> for me. They're a little bit easier because I understand them more. And uh, so I, I that's why I kind of focus on that. And I like 
I don't know. I just like the multiplication aspect of it. Like, okay, it's just bigger dollar amounts a lot of times, you know. You know, some of these infill lots actually take that back a little bit. Some of these infill lots are pretty expensive and you can make a lot of money Mm -hmm. on them. But but I just I just like I just like the larger acreage for, you know, who knows, maybe not even valid reasons. But that's always what I've what I've done. Now, I know other investors, you know, they, they may be thinking the complete opposite. They may love the infill lots. They may love dealing with the like finding that end builder or buyer that's going to buy that lot. That makes the most sense to them. And, you know, they may only send to things under an acre, you know, in, in, an, in a city, in an established city. Well, they you know? know it mm-hmm. and they know too. I feel like it's the way that you've described it to me. And the reason why I like what you like is because I like you. No, I'm just kidding. That was, that's nice, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, is that nice. it feels safer to me because mm-hmm. um, if it's five to 10 acres, it's more likely to perk. Mm-hmm. If it's five to 10 acres, it's most likely to that you could use it for something other than building a house if you needed to even. Yeah. There's, yeah, you multiple, know? multiple exit plans. Right. M- multiple uses, you know. Mm-hmm. So if you've got a quarter acre lot in an established subdivision and it turns out it's not buildable. It wouldn't be good for archery. It would not be good. What are you going to do with it? No off-roading. You set up a lemonade stand might be good for something like that. I need a permit. Yeah. But really, I mean, Mm -hmm. you're... We joke, but that's... You know, you just got to make sure on those, when you're buying those smaller properties, you got to make sure it's buildable or you're going to get stuck with something that's going to be a loser for you. Mm -hmm. It's about doing your due diligence beforehand. Right. If you're going to do that. And I think just, you know, the whole riches and niches, you get to what you're comfortable with. Yeah. Do you have time for one more question? Sure. Did you see that um, you got a, someone commented on a YouTube video today. Okay. Um, Did you see it yet? No. Okay. So they said it was on a student success story and they said, "Um, this is amazing. I think it's great. You definitely have like nailed a, something that you've needed, needed thing. He's like, but I've got to pay the devil's advocate. I think he said he lived in New York. So it was his New York something coming out in him. And he was like, okay, so you partner with Pete and these people do, they bring you these deals and you're like, oh my gosh, I made a lot of money on this one. What's stopping you from then? Like, because you can overpower these, theoretically, the people bringing you the deal, you're sending a more mail than them. What is stopping you from then targeting those areas and like undercutting the people that are bringing you deals? I guess that's, I can understand where you're coming from, that, you know, the whole conspiracy theory thing, that that's maybe my whole intent this time to try to find these special, special areas. I've got, I've got some news for you. There are no like special, special areas, you know, like, you know, there are maybe some areas that, you know, do a little bit better than others. But as land investors, we have access to all this data. So like, you know, the popular counties, like say, for instance, I'm only going for the hottest counties. It's very easy to determine which the hottest counties are by just looking at the data of sales and and for sale like that. I can determine those and and know that like if I if I get a deal there that it's going to sell pretty quickly. I also know that it's harder to get a deal in that in a particular place like that. So, and uh, you know, in a situation like that, like if if we do a deal with a particular investor and I do well in that deal, it makes me pay attention. Obviously, that that that's a good area, and and a lot of times I may have done a, the deal in that area before the investor even brought it to me. I get a lot of investors bringing me deals in areas that I've already bought and sold numerous properties from. So it's not a situation where I'm like, oh, now I'm going to target this area. Mm-hmm. I'll pay attention and and you know consider it for our outreach and and. Things in the future, but I'm not like, um, it's not my intent to like target these particular areas that, you know, like anytime you have more information in this business, like you get a feel, you may, maybe, maybe we've got a, we found a good agent in this particular area or something like that. Like that's, that's what drives, that's great. That's what, that's Mm -hmm. what drives it more for me, but uh, it's not my intent to, you know, undercut an investor or something like that, that I'm working with. In fact, we just had a situation come up where we just closed a property with a partner with Pete investor that brought us a deal. And when I was looking on the map, you know, I noticed this, the same seller owned another property, you know, like two parcels away or something like that. I could have easily said, OK, I'm going to call this seller and just, you know, try to cut out this investor that brought us the deal. But I'm not like that. So so I, I asked the investor, I'm like, hey, do you want to talk to the seller and see if you can work out a deal for this other parcel as well? And, you know, see so what happens. It, yeah, it's not like uh, I don't know. I, I mean, maybe it's hard to. Uh, I don't know, get your mind around it or something, but I don't think that way. I really try to think what's fair. That's what kind of shocked me on that though, was actually, I was like, I've never even thought of that. Like, I mean, I guess maybe we're like really, really um, basic because I was like, wait, maybe like my intelligence isn't high enough. Mm-hmm. Cause I never even thought, oh, we should, you know what I mean? And I, and I think that it actually comes down to like the, the basics of there's very few special areas. There's lots of special properties. Mm -hmm. And our goal right now is to, 
it makes more sense for us to fund other people's deals and and support these investors than it does to cut them out. Yeah, like that doesn't that doesn't work that well, way. The whole thing really, and and I'm this has really been working out this way as well. Is I want to do like many deals. Like when we get a deal with a certain investor, I want to do many deals with that that mm-hmm. same investor. I mean, like that's that would be the goal. And you know, I'm more likely to say to the investor, like, hey, try to find some more properties in that area that, you know, it seemed pretty like a hot area or something like that, rather than me trying to do some sort of uh, end around type situation, kind of of loyal to a fault. Uh Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I I don't know, I think we always skew towards the long term Mm -hmm. perspective rather than the short term thing. So right, I'd rather and also it makes us feel good to help other people and and we could help too. I just thought that was kind of funny, because I was like, I never thought of that. I don't blame the person for asking. There's there's 4000 counties or so approximately mm-hmm. in the United States. So there's no shortage of different places to prospect and do things. I mean, there's opportunity everywhere. Right. And if they do better, we do better. Exactly. And it's kind of like a team sport. We've never fallen to that um, scarcity mindset or screw somebody over to make us better. Mm-hmm. We've always gone to the whole, if you do better, we will all do better. That's right. Well, that's a good place to end it, Heather. That was a great episode. Heather. Heather's, huh? My name's Heather. What did I say? I don't know what you were going to say. Heather. But it was like Heather. Okay. Well, I maybe mispronounced your Thank name you. a little bit. Sorry about that it's been a long episode but a great episode i feel and uh hopefully you enjoyed it as well so landconquest.com mm-hmm. and also there's probably going to be a video showing on this screen so i would check that out Somewhere if like you're interested in here learning more about land flipping where can um, people find you online oh uh reese peter is my instagram handle could be changing though we'll <laughs> see about that so. uh also youtube if you're listening to this podcast we're on, everything's on YouTube, and we've got other supplemental videos on there as well, and that's at Turning Profit. TurningProfit.com, that's our website where we highlight our income reports every month, where we break down what's happening in our land business in detail, all the financial numbers and every single deal that we do. And 50 so. First Deals, you did a video on that too. People yes. love that one. So you can see all the first 50 deals that, that we did. Yeah. That's so. it. Okay, well, we'll see you next week. See you then. Bye. All right, bye. Ready to start Turning Profit yourself? Head to turningprofit.com to step up your real estate investing game. See you on the next episode.